0: Welcome to The Church Podcast, the home of our services and lessons for The Church, North Georgia. I'm the lead pastor, Zach Peters, and I am so glad you've chosen to listen this morning. Without further ado, here is our service for the week. All right, so let's jump in here. We're going to be in Acts chapter 11. It'll be on the screen in a minute. Uh, I'm excited. The older I get, the older I get, the more I enjoy sort of crime thriller stories, mystery stories. Not necessarily the, the true life stuff, I don't like that stuff. I sort of like Sherlock Holmes, Agatha Christie, those sort of things, I enjoy those. And and part of the reason why I enjoy them and like them is because the authors, the writers, the directors, whoever it might be for these books or these shows, they do a good job of leaving you crumbs, right? They'll, they'll give you a little something here and then later down the road you'll read a chapter and be like, hold on a second, I remember back in this chapter, that This thing and now they're connected and that made sense or I remember back in season two that this happened and it, it's a crumb It's this it's this thing that's left behind and there's this payoff. I, I like it There's also an artist that I like to watch on, on YouTube as you guys probably know now And one of the things that he says like every time I watch him is is I'll just he's painting along He's doing his his crazy his crazy thing that looks like nonsense And he'll just go. I'll just put this right here as something for later. It's just a blob of color and, and paint and then later in the painting, he takes that blob, that little thing he did, and he'll turn it into something. So there's this payoff, this this little nugget of something, and it pays off bigger down the road. And I, I like that. And the scripture that we're reading today has a lot of those little, aha, I remember that moments. I read over it, and I was like, hold on a second. Hold on. I recognize this place. I recognize this name. I recognize this. And and while the scripture is not about those little nuggets, um, I, I, I just struck me. It has struck me that without those little moments, we don't have the scripture. So for our own let's we're not even in the service yet. This is just the intro, right? So in your life, don't forsake the little moments. Don't forsake the little things that happen in your life, good, bad, and everything in between. Don't forget about the annoying little things you've got to go through. Don't forget about the unfortunate circumstances you walk through. Don't, 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 don't look down on those things. Don't look down on the little joyful moments that you have because you don't know what those moments will turn into later down the road. We don't know what this little moment in this little church with us will turn into down the road. And it seems insignificant. I enjoy it. I have fun, but it's different than what any of us have ever experienced before. And so it might be real easy to look at this and take it for granted, but the reality is it's just something God's storing up to do something with later. No sermon's wasted. No prayer is wasted. No song is wasted. He's going to use these things. Let's jump into our our, our scripture for today. Acts chapter 11, verses 19 through 26 says this. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad and exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch for a whole year and they met with the church and taught a great many people and and in Antioch the disciples were first called Christians. Obviously from last week we skipped over some stuff, but last week we, we sort of read about the beginning of the Gentile church through Peter and Cornelius. We didn't finish the entire story, but it set us up for what's really happening in in this scripture today. And again, in Acts, this story in Acts has bounced around from person to person, place to place, right? We start with the apostles. We go to Peter and John. we, we, we We have Stephen. We have Philip. We have Saul. We have all of these people it bounces around from And we have all these places. It starts in Jerusalem. It goes to Samaria. It goes to this town and that town. It's on the road, uh, and and Philip's there with a guy from Ethiopia, and it goes up to Antioch and all these other small places. And, and, And for me, this simply points out the fact that God does not work in a linear fashion. It's not point to point for God. While the church in Jerusalem is growing, it's not like God isn't doing something somewhere else to prepare them for what's about to happen. While the church in Jerusalem is struggling and suffering and the people are scattering, it's not like the church is dead because God's also working and moving. While God is working with Paul and Peter and James and the apostles, he's with Saul up in Damascus doing something. And so it's not linear. It's not step by step. God is not that small. We're doing church right now. And we are the center of our own little story with God. And it's a great story. You are your center of your own little story with God. And that's fantastic. But there's something bigger going on that we are a small, small part of. Don't box God in. We don't know what the Holy Spirit is doing across the world. And so whatever is happening here in in coming Georgia doesn't, doesn't necessarily dictate what's happening somewhere else. Whatever struggles we might be facing might not... It might just be a part of what God is doing for somewhere else or something else down the road. Now, those who were scattered, those who were scattered, if you recall, this should be pretty familiar, but right after the death of Stephen, the next verse after the death of Stephen says, now those who were scattered, the church scatters. And then several chapters later, here we are, the church scatters, time goes on, years go on, and it's one of those callback moments uh, that we talked about earlier, but it has been several years since the scattering of the church, and some of those scattered Christians end up in a place, a great city called Antioch. Antioch. Antioch was the third largest city in the Roman Empire at this time, behind Alexandria, down in Egypt, and behind Rome itself. There was about 500,000 people in in Antioch, which is pretty impressive considering they didn't have skyscrapers, right? You got to think about scale here, like 500,000 people in brick mud homes and construction like that, that's uh, that's that's unique. And it was the capital of the Syrian province of the Roman Empire. It was a big deal. A lot of Roman government was located there. A lot of uh, Roman imperials were there to help take care of business and a lot of trade went back and forth from east to west through this one point on a map somewhere in Turkey, right? So it's a metropolitan city. Think New York. It's a port city. It really is. It's a commerce city. Think Chicago, Detroit. Think about Atlanta, Charlotte. These are these are cities. That, these are metropolitan places full of all kinds of different people. This place was full of all kinds of different people. They had Greek people, Roman people. They had they had uh, people from the Middle East. They had people uh, from from tribes up in up in Europe. And there were Greek gods and Roman gods and Middle Eastern cults. And uh, it was the location of one of the more evocative. Uh, cults dedicated to prostitution and sensuality. They had, they had sort of built a temple a couple of miles outside of this town. And so this is a big city full of lots of people uh, like what you would see today. The city had a large enclave of Jews in the city as well. About 10,000 to 50,000 Jews were scattered and set up in this city. And so whenever the Christian Jewish uh, refugees arrive in the city, they go to the places where they would fit in these these Jewish synagogues and communities that are built around the synagogues. This was a special city, and it was the right place at the right time, which I have a hard time saying because, as you probably understand and know, I don't appreciate and enjoy cities. I don't like going through them. I don't like being around them. I don't think they have a lot to offer for things that I like. But this, Antioch, was a special city, and yet the church only gets there because everything went wrong back home. The church only arrives in Antioch because they're forced from their homes and they're fleeing and they're in danger and they're refugees. It's the right place and the right time, even though there's more false gods here than they are in Judea and Jerusalem. It's the right place, even though they don't fit in anymore. In Jerusalem and Judea, they're they're the popular culture. Everyone looks like them, talks like them, does things like them. But in Antioch, they're the outsiders, but it's the right place. It's the right place, even though it's more hedonistic more liberal than, uh, than Judea and Jerusalem. It's, they, they came from a conservative place. They're, now they're going to a place with all sorts of things that they've never even seen or experienced before, but it was the right place. You see, I think I have a problem, and I'm not gonna tell you that you have the problem, but I most certainly have the problem at looking at places like Antioch that don't look like where I grew up, don't look like what I want them to look like, and viewing them as the wrong place. And maybe on a practical level, that's true. Maybe on a practical level of raising a family, I don't want to raise a family in a place like that, but a place full of hedonistic, liberal, idol worshiping people, uh, that's the perfect place for the church. It is the right place. So I had to call myself out when I read this and recognize the fact that even though this was Antioch, even though it was a place of of morally inept people and living and idols and all sorts of things that, that we think are brand new today, but have existed for a long time of evil, it was the right place for the church. In the U.S. today, the Christianity, the church, seems to be shrinking, it seems to be under attack. There are all sorts of problems that we face, especially in more populated areas, metropolitan cities. But it's not the first time the church is faced off against false idols. It's not the first time the church has been in flux. It's not the first time the church has has struggled. It's not the first time the church has had to face hedonism and and evil. It's not the first time the church has had to deal and reach with multiple cultures all at one time. It's not the first time the church has had to go to a place where it didn't fit in. We are in the right place. We are in the right time for such a time as this, just like Antioch 2000 years ago, the church was in the right place. We are in the right place today. No matter how bleak or bad it looks because we've got something that they need. We can't say, what well, was me. We, we can't, we gotta get out of that attitude of thinking down on what we have to go through as Christians. We, we can't keep looking at all the problems we have to face and complaining about the problems we have to face. We need to start saying and learn to say, when we look out there, when we look out to the cities, when we look out to the places that are like Antioch, look at all the wheat that needs to be harvested. Look at all the opportunity. Look at all the people who haven't heard about Jesus, who have a misunderstanding about who Jesus is. I don't want to be a church with our head in the sand, afraid of what's going on around us. I want to be a church that understands and knows the gates of hell shall not prevail and that there's nothing that can happen in the world that's going to stop God's mission from being accomplished. And I want to be a part of that. Right place, right time. Right place, right time. That's what we live in right now. I I, I know it's bad. I know it's unfortunate. I know it doesn't fit with how we want to live, but it's the right place, right time for the Savior to step out of our lives and impact other people around us. That's what they did in Antioch. The Christian Jewish refugees start preaching at the synagogues. If I'm a, let's be honest, if I'm a refugee, I'm probably not worried about talking about Jesus. I'm probably worried about feeding my family. I'm probably worried about finding a home. I probably will not be talking about Jesus for a while, especially since it was Jesus and talking about Jesus that put me in this position in the first place. But they preach about Jesus anyways. And then it says something real cool. It says some of them, some of them can't help but start preaching to anyone who will listen, not just the Jewish people, but the Gentiles, too. They're talking to shopkeepers. They're talking to men and women in different trades. They're, they're talking to all these different types of people, and they're saying, listen, I know you don't know anything about the Old Testament. You don't know about Moses. You never heard about David or Abraham. You're you know you, you're Greek. You're Roman. You're, you're from uh, up way up north in Europe. You don't know it about any of this stuff, but let me tell you about Jesus, this Savior, This this anointed one. Let me tell you about him right? And the church grows. The church explodes. There's something about a savior that's timeless. There's something about needing help that cuts across culture, that cuts across time, because every culture has to deal with sin. Every culture has to deal with death. Now, they might not have the technical language. They might not understand when you say sin and what that means, but they know when they look at the world, they know in their own life, they know in their family that something just isn't right. It's just not connecting. It's just not the way it should be. And, and when they're dealing with death and the fear of death and, and all of the things they, that come along with death and anxiety about it, they understand and recognize something on the inside of them that this is not right. And so they come up with all sorts of other coping mechanisms to deal with death. They come up with all sorts of different copentisms to deal with their own sin, their own failures and mistakes and the evil in the world. And so when you start talking about a Savior, it starts clicking with them because they start recognizing everything I do can't fix this. Everything I do can't stop death, but you're telling me about someone who can. It connects. It connects. No one wants to die, and so a Savior is attractive. And these new missionaries, they don't have a name. It just says some of them. Not Peter, James, John. Not Bob and Larry. Some of them. Didn't matter. The greatest in the kingdom of God, I am convinced, will probably be mostly mostly consisting of people we've never heard of. Men and women living off in the middle of nowhere just doing the right thing every day without any sort of attention, without any sort of platform. And of course, there'll be people in the Bible that are that are held in high esteem, but I'm convinced that that. A name, a name is, is not a key to, to being in the kingdom of God. Some of them, just some of them, man, in a church full of swag, right? In a church full of social media clips and, and being hip and being cool and having this song and looking this way and preaching this way, having this background, in a church full of that, we need to be okay just being some of them, just some of them. We're just some of those people from that church. We're just some of those Christians. That's enough. We don't need a social media fault. It's a fine tool. It is. I'm not saying it's not a, a, a necessarily bad thing. What I am saying is that it starts with just some of them. It starts with people just doing the right thing every day, who who their name will never be shared with us. These new missionaries have no name. It's just some of them. It didn't matter. It didn't matter they didn't have a name. It just didn't. Some of the greatest in the kingdom will just be those ladies who've been serving in the food bank for 30 years, praying for the same homeless people for 30 years. They're great. We want attention. We want attention. The desire for attention is not old, but in a social media world, we have sort of adopted this negative habit of wanting the likes, wanting the views, wanting the clicks, wanting the attention. And what we really just need is to get back to a place where we can just be some of them some of them. The church grows in Antioch. The church leaders in Jerusalem hear about it, and uh, they're just a few years removed from the church in Jerusalem from exploding. And so they know how tough it is to deal with growth. They know how tough it is to figure out all the problems that crop up whenever you have brand new people believing in Jesus. And so they very wisely decide to send someone with experience, and it's this guy named Barnabas. Barnabas, and you've probably heard of Barnabas before. Matter of fact, if you this is one of those callback moments. In chapter four, Barnabas is the guy who uh, sells a bunch of property and gives all the proceeds to the church. This is the same Barnabas. It's the same guy. And uh, he's a Levite. He's a, he's a foreigner from Jerusalem. He's from Cyprus. So he had, he had basically immigrated to Jerusalem during this time. He was Greek speaking. His name means son of encouragement, which becomes incredibly uh, important for the scripture. It says he was faithful. And it says he was a good man, which is the only place Luke uses that for anyone else in the Bible or in, in Acts or Luke. So he's a good man. Whatever that means, he was good. And it was he was so good that Luke pointed that out for, for him. And he shows up to Antioch and he loves what he sees. He loves it. He tells them to keep going. Keep holding on to Jesus and keep telling people about Jesus. He was impressed by the grace of God that had shown up. And, and as his name suggests, he encourages them And it just seems like Barnabas is so uniquely qualified for this task that God had presented him with. On one level, because he's from Cyprus and not from Jerusalem, he's more used to dealing with Gentiles than, say, Peter, James, or John. They grew up surrounded by a couple of Gentiles, but mainly surrounded by other Jewish people. Barnabas didn't. He grew up in a place with lots of Gentiles, so he's more used to dealing with these people than others would. It also happens that some of the scattered the of them in the scripture that we talked about were from his hometown, Cyprus. So he's got that connection. And he, like Stephen, is also a man full of the Holy Spirit, which we know changes everything. So he is enabled and empowered for this task, and he's naturally encouraging and not controlling. How awful and how horrible would it have been for the church in Jerusalem to send a representative and that representative to show up to this great thing that's happening all these brand new Christians, this crazy, awesome thing that's happening, and for him to show up and say, well, we don't do things that way. Well, I wouldn't, you know, down in Jerusalem, we wouldn't even, you know, it just well, shouldn't work that way. You know, you're, you're not looking at this the right way. He didn't show up to criticize. He showed up to encourage, to encourage. He saw the good and elevated the good and didn't, I'm not saying he didn't correct some stuff, But he's not noted for his correction. He's noted for his encouragement. Find the good. Elevate the good. Be people of encouragement in your life. It is so hard to find people who their first nature is to encourage rather than criticize. It's easy to criticize. I do it. I am a hypercritical person. I will walk into a, a store and think, well, that's a mess. I will walk into a store and think, well, they shouldn't put that there. I will walk into a church and immediately start pointing out all the things that are weird to me. Easy to do that, not as easy to do to walk into a place and start pointing out and elevating the good. Build people up. Build people up first. Start with that first, and then maybe you will earn the opportunity to look at something and correct it. So now this random guy from chapter four is interjected into the church at Antioch, and it says a great many people were added to the church. And then Barnabas seems to understand his limits. The responsibility to shepherd, to pastor, this brand new group of people was more important than any desire for personal glory. He needed help. He needed help. He recognized the fact that he couldn't do it on his own. And then he went and got help, which is rare. It's rare. I know a lot of people, a whole lot of people, including myself sometimes, that would not do that. Number one, there's a lot of people who don't even understand the fact that they can't do everything on their own. Through some sort of pride or, or, or something, they think they've got all the answers. They got all the solutions. They're going to do everything themselves. They are the end-all be-all of, of a job, of a ministry, whatever it might be. And so they have a hard time even recognizing the fact that they need help. Number two, Once they do recognize they need help, some of them are so ingrained into having that attention of doing everything on their own and that control, they are unwilling to release control in order to get people to help them, right? Barnabas doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. He needs help. He gets help. He gives up some control. He gives up some glory, and he knows just the guy to go get it's another one of those moments, one of those little nuggets, those callback moments. We remember Saul, right? Saul is, is, is persecuting the church. He goes on his way to Damascus, gets converted to Christianity. He preaches in Damascus for a time. They chase him off. He ends up in Jerusalem. He wants to meet the apostles, and the apostles are probably rightly terrified that this guy is trying to meet them. And who is it that steps in and sort of bridges the gap between Saul and the apostles? Barnabas. It's Barnabas. Just one little, one little line there. It says Barnabas, Barnabas interceded on his behalf to get him into communication with the apostles. And the apostles sent him off to his hometown to go, to go preach. And now, now Barnabas needs help, and he knows just the guy. And he goes and gets him. Listen, it's a 100-mile journey to go get Saul from Antioch. 100 miles without GPS, 100 miles without a car, 100 miles without an airplane. And he goes and gets Saul, gets him. Um, for positions of leadership especially inside the church raise people up raise people up this sort of connects back to needing help and knowing you need help to before put people in positions to be used listen to the Holy Spirit don't be afraid to share authority or glory with others for the sake of the mission of the church Barnabas brings Saul back into the story that's happening in Acts and Saul doesn't really go away again No, I know who Billy Graham is, but I don't know who his pastor was. I know who Pastor Fox is, but I don't know his pastor. You guys know me, but you don't really know my pastor, the one I grew up with. We all have someone behind us who came before us, and sometimes people don't know them, but they know us. Your greatest accomplishment as Christians, your, your greatest accomplishment in your personal life might not be the fact that your name is great, but it might be the fact that you brought someone into the story. That's part of the gospel. Jesus showed up to bring people back into the story because they were gone from the story because of sin. So this is part of the church. Go find people. Don't be afraid to let them do things that you could do yourself, but you'd rather them be involved, right? One leader says it this way. If someone can do something 50% as good as you can, let them do it and let them get better at it, but at least they're involved now. Barnabas lets Saul be involved. He sacrifices honor. He sacrifices control. He sacrifices the glory of him being Barnabas, the pastor of Antioch, this massive church. And he brings someone in because he recognizes the fact it's not about glory, honor, prestige. It's about the mission. And too often we don't replicate ourselves. We have a responsibility to replicate ourselves. Now, sometimes, and and John Denise, you've done a great job of replicating yourselves in your children. We have now have that same opportunity, but it goes above and beyond that for all of us, for other people around us. God will bring us people in this church. God will connect us with people in this church. And sometimes what we have to do is say, I've been doing this. I like doing this, but I'd rather you do this because I think you might have the potential to do it better than I can do it right now. Let people be involved. Finally, almost finished. They talked about the Christ, they talked about the Savior, they talked about the Anointed One, Jesus Christ the Lord, so much it became how people knew them. Are you excited about Jesus? I know we are, but are you really excited about about it? Is Jesus something that we have to talk about in every conversation somehow, some way, even if it's just a line? For them, for these refugees coming into Antioch, is it a really tough moment in their life? Again, they're worrying about food, clothing, shelter for them and and their families, and yet they could not help but talk about Jesus, so much so that they even started talking to people that normal Jewish people would never even talk to, and so their lives become defined by the Savior that they talk about nonstop. It's hard to explain how significant this development is and, and what it means, because this was the name of outsiders for people who followed Jesus. It was not the name they came up with on their own. Christians is a term that the Greeks and Romans and the other people gave people who were talking about this Savior, talking about this Jesus guy. They were Christians. They talked about him so much that that's who they became. When people looked at them, it was Christ that defined them. That that was it. It wasn't a pastor. It was not a church building. It wasn't a worship leader. It wasn't a people group skin color wasn't rich or poor wasn't man or woman who identified them it was their Savior can we do the same in our personal life can we get so excited and so appreciative of who Jesus is and the Savior that he is that when people look at us they don't see Carrie they don't see Tara they don't see this person that person they don't see white person they don't see rich person they, they, what they see is that's a Christian that's a, they talk about a Savior an anointed one, a Christ-like person. Can we get that excited about Jesus as a church, as individuals? It's a challenge, but it's a privilege. It's a challenge, but it's a privilege. God is working and moving in our lives. He is. Even right now. I see it all the time. And this sort of ties into those random small moments we talked about, but He is doing things whether we want to recognize it or, or not. So be encouraged by that. He's done so much for us already why would he stop now why would he do why would he bring us here and stop now why would he get you here and stop now and so I don't know what the future holds I can't predict that but I can't predict he's going to going to continue to work for us and help us and, and raise us up and do things through us and in that process we need to be encouraging we need to be encouraging we don't we need to be encouraging first Elevate the good first. Criticize second. Build up before you start correcting. We need to, we need to raise leaders up around us. We need to raise people up. We got to sacrifice control. We got to sacrifice some of our responsibilities, which for some people that's easy to do, but for control freaks like me, that's not easy to do. So we got we to do that. We, we got to recognize that we need help. We got to be a church that's not afraid to walk into the dark places, to walk into the Antiochs and be a city set on a hill. To be light in darkness, to be salt and light. Honestly, that's, that's what Antioch becomes. That's the power of the gospel message in Antioch is that They start doing life in a way that's so drastically different than the way life was being done by the people groups around them, the Greeks and the Romans and the other Middle Eastern groups and the cults and the other false religions and the idols are surrounding the church and the church stands up and says, there's a different way, there's a better way. Come, come see what it's all about. That's what I want this church to be. That's what I want us to be. I'm not afraid of what's happening out there. I'm not afraid because the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. And we're his church, are we not? We're his followers. We have him living inside of us through the Holy Spirit. And, and, and so there's nothing out there that is stronger than what happens in here or in here in your heart. That's the kind of church we can be. And go ahead and tell you we don't need a ton of money to do that. We don't need a ton of equipment to do that. We don't need a, a massive facility to do that. We can do it right now. And we will do it right now. And so over the next 21 days, after this, we're going to pray that God shows us how we can do it. How can we be like God? How can we be soft? How can we differentiate ourselves to those who are struggling and need help? Now, listen, we live in a place with lots of Christians. Praise God for that. But there are plenty of people who have the wrong idea about Jesus, who don't know about Jesus, or have, have been away from Jesus for way too long, and it's time for them to come home. We can be that home. Let's pray. Let's pray and let's get God into our processes, into our minds, into our hearts, into the way that we do things. Heavenly Father, you're so good to us. And and Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus, open up our eyes to the opportunities to talk about Christ. Let people look at us and not look at us for anything other than the fact that they know we have a Savior and that they need one too. Lord, I pray that you convict people, put people in the right positions for us to interact with, you're working and moving even right now. We don't realize it. But someone somewhere is being prepared to have an interaction with us, and you're preparing them for that interaction. Or anoint us for the task, anoint us for the purpose. Give us a fresh anointing, a brand new anointing, a strength and an encouragement in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and the fruit of that, uh, the Spirit active in our life, to be salt and light, to be different for your glory and for your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said, amen. Thank you so much for listening this week. We love you so much. Be blessed. You can find more info about our church online or through social. Just look us up, The Church North Georgia. And we will see you next time.